Hi everyone, I'm Ian Wright. Make sure you check out my podcast, Wright's House, every Wednesday on Ringer FC. Each week, I'm joined by a rotating panel guest to talk about football, life, films, everything. Search for Ringer FC on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Take it easy. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Whether it's taking all your little ones to their sporting events or everybody getting together and taking a ride to the beach, the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure. With features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or... Standard third row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Welcome everybody to Weekends with Waz on the Ringer NBA Podcast Network. It's the first day of the NBA playoffs because we're not calling the play in the playoffs for some reason. Uh, Adam Silver, please make it make sense. We got a very special guest on the line today. My man, the Ringer's own, Kyle J. Man, what's going on, brother? Not too much, Waz. It's good to be here with you. I mean, like in a game where elimination, you, you like it's do or die elimination. Isn't that by definition a playoff? I just like li- like the literal definition of a playoff. <laughs> but whatever, we're going to go with it. Uh, today's the first official day of the NBA playoffs. Four games today. We're taping this right as Golden State and the Denver Nuggets tip off. Uh, so we won't have much for that, except for the fact that Steph Curry um, is coming off the bench, which I thought was a pretty interesting decision by Steve Kerr. Uh, but yeah, let's get into the games that have already happened today, Kyle. Uh, first up was Utah versus Dallas. Uh, Utah took game one, 99 to 93 on the road. Uh, not much surprising there. Uh, Luka Doncic is still out with a calf strain. There's no real word on when he's going to come back. Generally speaking, um, previous calf strains around the league have averaged about 18 days, which is Two and a half weeks, which is past the first round of the playoffs. So Time it's that lo- they don't have. AKA. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's looking like Luke is not going to play this series, which makes this completely and wholly uninteresting besides the dysfunction of Utah coming in. I don't know if you saw or had anything you wanted to add about this game. Yeah, I, I think it just kind of becomes a question of the long game for 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 them because I, I mean, and you know, people come to Waz, they come to you and I for like medical speculation. Typically, <laughs> I have people hit me up all the time. Will you please spe- speculate about some injuries? Uh, no, I mean, 
I've heard people say that it's higher calf uh, in the. I learned I learned the phrase muscle belly for the first time this week. Okay. I'd never heard that in my life. So okay, apparently so it's I'll in see an area. The muscle deep, deep dive. <laughs> there was in a story in the athletic I just saw, but uh, they say that it like has more blood flow and like it could heal better. But I've heard people say that like the lower calf stuff is more dangerous just because it's down there near the tendon, the mm. Achilles tendon, which you know obviously is an area you don't want to go into. So I guess it's just a matter of do you even try with Luca? If you got like this generationally special player, you know, see if he can get back. The question for Dallas is like, do they have enough? Uh, they're, they're a team that's built around a player. You know, you bring in Spencer mm-hmm. Dinwiddie, and he's like a pretty, you know, pretty capable secondary creator, but can you generate enough offense against, you know, one of the better defensive anchor, I mean, best defensive anchor in the world and Rudy Gobert and a pretty competent veteran team in Utah. Can they generate enough offense? They struggled to do it today. So it's going to be a question of how much, how many plates can they spin and keep this alive and hope that Luka can come back, basically. It's it's a tough game that they're playing right now. Well, I mean, they weren't completely putrid. It was a really slow-paced game. Um, mm-hmm. 93 points on about 82 possessions. Uh, not great. <laughs> not ideal, but uh, it wasn't completely horrible. It just felt like the Utah Jazz knew they were playing an inferior opponent without their their lead dog, and they kind of played with their food all game, but it didn't feel like Dallas was actually ever threatening them in any serious way. Uh, Donovan Mitchell kind of went crazy in the third quarter after having a kind of miserable first half, and, you know, they basically held... Uh, the Mavs at arm's length the rest of the way. So I do want to get into what, to me, was a really exciting and interesting matchup um, between the Memphis Grizzlies and Minnesota Timberwolves. Man, um, I was what I found kind of interesting, and I think we talked about it on text, Kyle, was what I thought would be Memphis's greatest weakness all postseason, and that's generating quality looks in the half court. Now, they weren't like horrible job, uh, basically for most of the game, if not the fourth quarter, uh, was he was getting to the paint at will, spraying guys all around the court. Uh, he was getting it out very quickly. He looked pretty sharp all game, but at towards the end, it, it kind of grounded to a halt, and he had some bad possessions at the end there. Uh, you kind of wonder what they're going to do going forward uh, when Minnesota seems pretty geared into what they're trying to do. Yeah, it definitely, I was say, saying to you that, like, it definitely got the, had this vibe from the jump that Minnesota was, like, trying to make, like, a tonal statement to start this to start this game. Like, we, I, and I heard people say on TV, I heard, like, Stephen A. and Jalen and them talking about how this game was stolen. My question for you was, do we really think that was a steal? No. It didn't look like a steal to me. No, not at all. Um, actually, on group chat, I said that I thought this series would go seven games. I couldn't bring myself to uh, to pick Minnesota, but I just don't think there's some talent disparity here. Uh, Memphis has more consistently been, you know, played up to their level of talent throughout this season. But I don't think they're way more talented, specifically when you think about the shot creation element of it, where we're going to get into what baby Jordan did today, uh, my man, <laughs> Ant Edwards. But, like, they have three guys, Minnesota does, who can they who they can say is average to above average as shot creation. And Memphis cannot boast that. They have one. They have one guy. Like, you're not going, as much as everybody loves Dylan Brooks and the yelling at people and the antics, 
You're not going to him for consistent shot creation. I love Desmond Bain. You're not going for him for consistent shot creation. These got these are secondary sort of ancillary parts to any functioning offense. Uh, yeah. Minnesota has three of them, but I just didn't think they would be able to guard at the level that they did, specifically Carl Towns, man. And I know that like he's been horrible in the drop coverage traditionally. So all season they've had him playing, you know, hyper aggressive on pick and roll, sort of out on the floor on the perimeter. But even when they were swinging it, he was making great rotations. When he had to switch, he was doing a credible job, like guarding perimeter guys on defense. Like Carl Towns, man, looked like a freaking player on defense today. Yeah, he was flashing that like hard hedge. You were talking about getting out on the ball handler. He did a pretty good job of like meeting jaw above the level of the mm -hmm. screen. I actually was looking at like the the pick and roll efficiency here, and it's like Memphis ran twenty five pick and rolls where where Minnesota basically defended it that way. Like Carl would come out and just like he was moving and energetic and and, and ran jaw off the line. And then I think the big th – and they only generated 0.68 points per possession, mm. and, whereas Minnesota doubled that on the other end. They were mm. 1.26. Uh, and I think the big thing that jumped out to me uh, was the physicality. You know, we talk a lot about how Memphis all year long have had this identity of thumping their chest. They mm -hmm. turn you over. Mm -hmm. And younger teams can kind of have this. They're excited. They're not, <laughs> they're not always pacing themselves because they're young. They don't necessarily have to generating a lot of transition offense through turnovers and things like that because they have a lot of switchability. They have a lot of guys with big wingspans. They have a lot of guys who are strong and like lanky strong and like JJJ and and uh, like even Kyle Anderson has like a crazy wingspan. But I think that something that really jumped out to me is that the, that the gap between Minnesota and Memphis I didn't really see one. Like in terms mm. of like you saw when you saw and physicality. Yeah, when you saw Jaw get into the middle of the floor, he he fell down a lot in this game. You know, he did get his he got his looks and things like that, but it's all coming from one place. And I think the point that you made is really good too. You know, we were talking about Dallas. Do they have the secondary creators? Where's it going to come from? Because I thought that even Bain kind of looked a little limited tonight when he was mm -hmm. catching the ball. He was bothered by the length, and mm -hmm. I think Minnesota's defensive physicality and like and they're just their profile, how big and long they are. Uh, it matches up great with Memphis and was bothering them noticeably, I thought. Yeah, and John Morant had a, a really strong game, right? He was 8 of 18, got to the free throw line 20 times, right? Which <laughs> is, to me, lot. like, look, look, to me, the truest sign of a superstar is if you get to the line against set hack court defenses in the playoffs, um, that like that's the truest indicator of superstardom, in my opinion. It means guys can't handle you and therefore have to freaking foul you. Um, and John Morant did that. And again, um, he was a and you know some of this plus minus stuff on a per game basis. I don't really buy into, but he was a minus sixteen for the game. And I thought what what you said earlier was interesting about how Memphis wants to approach the game. They got down super big early in the first quarter. They're down 13. And in the second quarter, they really turned it around by turning Minnesota over 10 times. And that's when they got their hit-aheads. They're throwing alley-oops. They're doing the stuff that they have to do in order to generate offense because it's not just going to be, they're not going to be this classic 2014 Spurs, right? Where they're just picking you apart in the half court because they have 
all of these smart, heady players and skilled players. No, they have to get into you. They have to force turnovers and they have to get out on the floor. And they were able to do that in the second quarter. I was like, man, if this thing, if Minnesota ends up blowing this game, it's going to be because they lost this thing in the second quarter where they, they, they played pretty sloppy and they gave up all these transition opportunities. But man, they calmed down and... I'll be damned if Anthony Edwards, man, wasn't just the run killer. Every single time it looked like Memphis was about to sort of wrestle control of, of the game from, from Minnesota. Anthony Edwards was like, no, give me the ball. I'm going to get to the cup and one, or I'm just going to fire off the dribble three and splash those things. This guy dropped 36 points in his first ever playoff game, 12 of 23 Four of 11 from, from three-point line. Uh, he got to the line eight times, made all eight of his free throws. And just, again, we saw it in the playing game against the Clippers where, like, you know, Marcus Morris is trying to guard this dude. And he's like, get the hell out of here. Every <laughs> single Memphis person that they tried to put in front of him, Anthony Edwards was like, you cannot stay in front of me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he he... Going by, like, historically players who haven't hit their 21st birthday, that was – he tied Derrick Rose for the third most points ever in a playoff game. Derrick wow. Rose in, in 2009 scored 36 mm. at Boston mm. uh, in the East uh, – I think it was Eastern Conference round one. But, I mean, yeah, Ant, the big thing for me with Ant is he looked under control. You know, Ant mm. always has these moments where in the past he could just go nuclear and go NBA jam hot and go crazy. And you would see him reach that threshold of like, I think I'm hot. I'm going to take this extra shot to see if I'm hot. He kind of, I saw him kind of get to that, like he he walked up to the ledge and kind of put his toes over and he never like fell off. You know, mm -hmm. that was always the thing with Ant where it's like he'd get so amped up and at lower levels, like at Georgia and high school, he could do those things just without any repercussions. Right. But I think that like this, this Minnesota team, has an identity. They have a personality. I've seen, you know, Russell got his shots up. He wasn't super efficient. The thing not. that I worried about with them in the past was him being in the way. Like, it, it just seems like that Minnesota's identity and their pieces have kind of fallen into a hierarch hierarchy that makes sense. You know what I mean? It, in the past, it kind of looked like they were a little conflicted. They're just imposing their will on people. Uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, yeah, Anthony is... He's just an insane physical specimen, man. Like, I, I don't know. I guess if you're Memphis, you just kind of hope that the variation goes your way a little bit. And he has, yeah. like, a real off game. Yeah, and you saw towards the end of the game, like, I think he missed his last, like, three threes. And some of them were, like, classic settles, right? Meaning, like, he fires a three, contested off the dribble with, like, 18 seconds left on a shot clock. Which is just, you just don't want, that's not ideal offensive possession if you're the Timberwolves specifically, right? Like, when you have a Towns and you have D'Angelo Russell's ability to operate and pick and roll, like, there's better ways so you can always get that shot is the point. And he's sort of settled a couple of times, but I'll be damned if he just didn't look like the most physical guy out there at times. And, I, and which was bringing me to Carl Town to look, um, we killed him on Bill's show <laughs> after the Clipper game. He, he was just, it. he was, he was God awful. Um, but today, uh, you know, he had it going on both ends of the floor today. Yeah, I mean, he he was fantastic. Uh, 11 for 18, field goals, 3 for 5 from 3, didn't force a lot of shots. Mm -hmm. uh, you were talking about Ant. Yeah, that pain point that you talked about is 100% has been his Achilles heel in the past, like uh, settling, things like that. They they overall were really deliberate about what they do well. 
Uh, 13 rebounds for Carl, though, three assists. He just looked more under control. Like, he he kind of just looked freaked out in the playing game, and he didn't look as freaked out. He looked like he, I mean, he, good God, that dunk that he had oh, on Jared Jackson. Lord have mercy. Yeah, that was like file a police report. It looked like he got, he, uh, he just, uh, I couldn't believe he did that. But uh, overall, Carl, uh, yeah, I mean, he had a he had a fantastic game, and I, I thought that he played really well. I thought Jane McDaniel's actually was terrific mm-hmm. in this game too. He was, man, he gives them a little extra oomph. Like when he gets a swing, swing, he could take two dribbles and make an open fifteen footer. Like mm-hmm. when the defense is scrambling, like he's not a one dimensional guy. Uh, and I thought that was huge for them today. I love that Beasley got off ten threes. You know, like that, it, it, like people got to understand, like with a guy like Beasley, just that he's taking those threes, it expands everything, the scope of what Minnesota could do um, with their special on the ball guys. So offensively, look, I, I don't have any reason to believe that Steven Adams is going to get better at guarding Carl Towns, which he just kept running this man. Like he would... He made him look like he had cement in his shoes all game. That's just a cat is a horrible matchup for Steven Adams because he has to guard this guy from 25 feet on. Um, and he just he's not fleet of foot enough. Memphis is gonna have to eventually figure out that like he can't be in your big man rotation unless you know you want to match up his minutes with Naz Reed, then go ahead. But yeah. Steven Adams is he just got cooked today. Yeah, and and I guess. Where does Memphis go from here? Like it, you were talking, we were talking about how they're going to generate offense. That's a huge question looming over them because teams. Um, I was joking with you that, like, as a as a Kentucky fan, I'm used to having these teams that depend on transition <laughs> offense to get yeah. going, uh, it, and. It's something that younger teams will run into a lot. As I think I heard you say one time that uh, the NBA is like a talent acquisition business, basically, and I think mm-hmm. and everybody's trying to. In the playoffs, you're trying to look for these guys who can improvise when the team is scheming well against you. And Memphis just didn't really. We've got guys that have showed glimpses of that, like mm-hmm. we said, Bain. Um, but we haven't like Triple J. He's just not quite there yet a, mm-hmm. as a shot creator. Like he's attacked a lot more off the bounce this year. Uh, I'll be interested to see. You know, Jaws is a chess player. You know, and this game was. He, people think of these like long super athletes like and they think they don't think of them in that way they think of them as like all oh, this guy just absolutely that he's a chess player and I, i'm gonna be curious to see how they adjust in the next game to see how they can generate some more offense yeah look i don't want to overreact um i think if you're if you're a memphis grizzlies fan you have to you have to believe that you know um anthony edwards won't be going supernova from outside the entire series uh, you have to believe that you'll be able to get out the shooters better where you're not allowing, you know, uh, Beasley, their best three. And he he had a couple that he was wide open that he missed, by the way. There was a few of those. Um, you got to believe that they're going to be able to, you know, cover that adequately. But, you know, they don't really have the sort of perimeter length that the Clippers have, but they have to look into varying their coverages against Carl Towns because, the, the conventional way they tried to do it today, just that's not going to work. I think Clark has to see more time. Obviously, saying Jaron Jackson Jr. needs to play way more than 24 minutes, but oh, yeah. he's been historically a high-foul player, right? Yeah. And he's gotten better at it. Um, I think we talked about that in our text exchange. But, like, 
the Steven Adams thing of it all is just not, it's not going to work. Um, yeah. they, they, they have to, they have to be strategic about when they send their doubles, their help on towns. They have to be comfortable pulling, putting non-bigs on him. They have to vary how they're defending. I think they will. Um, but yeah, man, Taylor Jenkins, he got his work cut out for him. Yeah. And that was something the Clippers, I know Carl came out and said that that wasn't, well, maybe the, the quote, I saw the quote gets weak that he was like, that wasn't then impact it maybe as much as people were saying. But I think the minutes distribution is an interesting thing. We were we were giving Jaron Jackson credit for like being better on like help side stuff and not fouling as much, but he had five fouls today. So I think that's just kind of a maybe you look at the minute total at the end of the game, you think, why didn't he play as much? But it's just sort of it's one of the things that, you know, Taylor Jenkins has to juggle is like, I don't want to end up in a situation where I can't play this guy. So he has to kind of do it slowly. But Brandon Clark, 27 minutes today. I think you're right about Adams. I think that they're probably just going to have to hope that those guys can uh, cannot uh, take themselves out of the game with the fouling. But the way the Minnesota plays, man, they're going to dare them not to foul them. I mean, they're so physical uh, and around the basket. And another thing, too, is just like second chance points. Um, I, there, there were just numerous times where there were just like backbreaker possessions where like McDaniels would get like a like an, an offensive rebound and keep the play alive. Maybe and you know get it out to Malik Beasley for a three. Beasley for, was four for ten today. Like you were just saying, those extra things, like those extra little seams that teams can get you with their offense, uh, they're backbreakers. And 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 Minnesota just did more of them today. Yeah, I, look, I'm I'm not in panic. I wouldn't be in panic mode if I was Memphis. I think we saw the very best version of what this iteration of the Timberwolves can be, even with uh, D'Angelo Russell having a horrible game. Um, I think this is like the ideal of who they are, right? Like Anthony Edwards is killing you on the perimeter. Carl Towns is dominating his matchup, and you know they're they're getting they're getting threes and they're getting in the paint, right? Like this is the idealized version of themselves. I think Memphis will make some adjustments and um, do better, but they in a dog fight. This ain't your typical two versus seven um, no. that we're used to seeing. They this is a real legitimate series, and I'm telling you, talent for talent. Minnesota is right there with them. Yeah, I think that sometimes these things can be just distilled down to like primary color type situations. Like how many, how many like elite, like the talent acquisition thing, like Ant and Cat are just, they're two star level players. Cat can be up and down, you know, but we, Ant probably has the highest upside of any player in this series, I would say, you know, like in yeah. terms of like athleticism and creation. I think as a creator, he's got a little ways to go, but if got, he plays yeah. under control, if he plays under control and makes basic plays, basic reads, um, he's he's a handful. I think that th the way that you can really get him out of his over his skis is you can lure him into playing out of control, lure him into making like tough decisions, and if he's and you can get him to settle. But today he didn't do that, and he, and he looks like young Jordan, like you said, when he does that. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's three p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. 
But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. All right, so that was game one of the Memphis Grizzlies and Minnesota Timberwolves. Um I'm really excited to see how this unfolds. I'm sure plenty of you guys are as well. And so let's move on to the series that I've definitely circled and had my eye on this one because I'm like, things might could get pretty interesting here. However, didn't it kind of didn't, didn't feel like the, uh, sorry, jump in. didn't, didn't it kind of feel like, uh, like a, one of those tournament matchups that people, everybody's yeah, yeah, kind of yeah, like, yeah, keep yeah, an yeah, eye yeah, on yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, Colorado yeah. State against yeah. Michigan yeah. here. And it, it like, it kind of had that vibe to me. Like we, maybe we overthought this a little bit. Um, but yeah, that, that was kind of the vibe I got from it. It was sort of like an NCAA tournament type thing. Like, like a, like a power five school playing like a, like a really good, uh, non-power five kind of thing. I, I'm not trying to insult the Raptors. Don't come at me, Raptors fans. But uh, that was physically, that's what it felt. Yeah. yeah, so Philly beat them 131 to 111. Um, just an insane game from Maxi today. This kid dropped, let me make sure I'm getting this right, 14 of 21, <laughs> 5 of 8 from 3, 5 of 5 from the free throw line. He dropped 38 points today. Um, another guy who's been much maligned on this podcast and many others, Tobias Harris, as the <laughs> you know least talked about max player in the NBA. This guy was 9 of 14, 3 of 5 from 3, 5 of 6 from the free throw line, finished with 26 points. And look, Joel... Wasn't his typical dominating self, but like in the first half, he was. Um, he got to the line nine times. They couldn't single cover him. He was getting the ball out quick on double teams. He just dominated and got them off to an 18-point lead. And that was basically it. That was ball game after that. And look, Toronto doesn't possess a guy who's taller than six foot nine or six foot ten. Um, and even their six foot nine guys aren't exactly like the beefiest people in the world. So the Joel matchup was always gonna be a problem. If they can't match up with Tobias Harris and Maxi uh one-on-one, th- 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 this is done. But there's no reason even starting this conversation. And we didn't even get to Harden. I was going right. to say in this in this game today, like uh, the Sixers didn't lead after like the nine minute mark of the first quarter. It just kind of ballooned from there. I think the thing, the point that you made about Embiid, I think is really good that things about like, especially big guys, stars at that level that are like such a threat to score, they kind of develop this way of impacting the game without 
directly. It's almost like this inverse thing where they, they don't even have to put the numbers up to have a crazy impact yep. because you're talking about getting the ball out quick. Like Embiid just exists and he was drawing doubles like mm -hmm. because they didn't have a matchup for him one on one. You'd see those situations where they they briefly went to like a one three one Embiid immediately was just like any one on one situation in this game. He just goes straight to the block. <laughs> I thought uh, there were a couple there were a couple times, you know, and the Sixers can put size out there on the floor specifically because of the way the Sixter, Sixers put their lineups out there. They're always going to have one guy who's smaller, uh, like Fred Van Vliet was the one. And uh, Tobias just went to the block immediately. Uh, mm -hmm. And it, it it really did just kind of look like uh, they don't, especially with Embiid, if he's going to get rid of the ball and be that effective and get to the line a lot, uh, Toronto's in trouble. The other, the other thing, too, is like the turnovers. It, it's kind of mm -hmm. similar to the, the Memphis-Minnesota thing, like, you know, Memphis needs needed to generate turnovers. The Sixers do too. They're built that way. Like I think that they I had a stat written down the other day that like they really pick on people in early clock situations. I think they're like third in the league and like post I just saw I'm not this sounds like a thing I shouldn't know off the top of my head, but I just saw it. Uh, <laughs> they're like third in the league in like post-ups that are in the first five seconds of the shot clock. So mm. like they they what they love to do with Ananobi and with uh with Scotty Barnes, who we'll talk about what happened to him today. Day. And then with Pascal is if they turn you over, they just like go and target a mismatch if they can and post that person up and score early baskets. Well, A, that's harder to do against the Sixers because they have a lot of size out there. But then also uh, Philly's not turning the ball over. So it's like you get into this half court situation where Philly's so much bigger than them. Uh, it's an uphill battle for them, especially when they can't guard Philly, like you said. Yeah. And look, <laughs> Because I think people at home are going to be like, how could anybody with half a brain think that Toronto was going to somehow give these guys a lot of trouble? And I think the theory of the case was that obviously they didn't have a matchup for Joel, but on the perimeter, they could be really switchy. And when they did have to help, you would have the confidence that these ultra-long, ultra-athletic young guys would be able to scramble well enough to, to get out on people, right? Like they had the personnel, when you think about a guy like OG, Siakam, Scotty Barnes, Boucher, um, Precious Achua, like these are guys that behind the play, they they could figure out how to scramble and, and, um, and, and get, get to, to the help side. That was the theory. <laughs> um, Philly, <laughs> Philly proved that they, they just blew that up and just dominating one-on-one -on -one matchups. Again, from Maxi and Tobias Harris, who I don't care if you're the biggest Philly fan ever, nobody thought those guys were going to average 25 points plus a game this series, right? So they came out and did that. And why that's important is because the Raptors can't win this game, this series on offense. They have to win it, making it ugly and getting stops. They don't possess the horses um, to make this into some type of track meet where they go bucket for bucket with Philly. They don't have that type of personnel. And so we we know they're going to be limited on offense. Um, So it's hard for me to, like, critique. Like, yeah, Gary Trent Jr. was god-awful, 2 of 11. Terrible. 2 of 7 from 3. Um, And, like, look, Fred Van Vliet was fine. He dropped 18 points, uh, 7 of 12, 4 of 7 from 3. But Fred Van Vliet needs to get up. He needs to be shooting 20 shots. He needs to be firing 12 threes um, in order to make this thing viable for the Raptors. Because if he's not doing that, there's no, like, we love Pascal Siakam. But he's, 
it's just not going to happen by making him the, the the sort of oasis of everything that they do. Um, and so, again, like, I, I don't know how else to say this. If they don't guard, this is not a team who will score in the half-court offense. Yeah, you know my favorite play of the game? I, I told you this, I think, before that, like, you know, Maxi obviously was insane. 38 points, like you talked about. Um, he got to the line. Only five. He scored 38 on only five free throw attempts, uh, but was five for eight from three. I really loved, and he always looks like he's been like shot out of a cannon. He just looks like, uh, and it, if you're playing off the catch, this has been my point with Maxi playing off of Harden and playing off of Embiid. If you're playing off the catch like Maxi does, and you can attack the rim, he had one reversal to his left hand, man, that was just flat out. God, good God, it was nice. Um, they uh, they did a play there where they got a switch, and uh, Toronto tried to do like a scram switch where they you got a smaller guy on a big guy, and you try to quickly switch it. Maxi saw it and immediately like back cut and went to the rim. Um, if you have a player like that that it can attack the rim and finish like that, and that was that was something too. I just wanted to make the point that like he's leveling up in terms of like the way he attacks and when he chooses to attack and things like right. that. Because early on in his career, he was one of those classic one speed guys. Like oh, yeah. he was going a hundred miles an hour. There was no variation to it. There was no like control levels. Like nope, I'm getting this and I'm zooming to that spot that I want to get to. And like you said, he's become more sophisticated in his attacks. Yeah, he, he's definitely controlling, getting into his speeds, figuring out what his gears are, things like that. Um, the other thing, too, man, is just like we we were talking about like Harden. I'm not trying to do that thing where we're like, we talked about, we talked about. But like Harden, um, there really wasn't as much pressure on him. All Harden kind of had to do was, yep. you know, he didn't have like a super efficient game, six for 17, so like 35.3%. But uh, he went four for seven from three. We were kind of talking about, you know, the way the Raptors like to guard is they like to come up and and uh, dare you to run you off the line, and then they have a helper all the way in the gap. Um, they created a couple threes early from that just because... Because mm -hmm. James from Harden the, is an incredible fucking passer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All Harden had to do was just, like, barely get his guy on a rope. I forget who was even on him at that point, but he just kind of barely got his guy on the hook, and a dude for the Raptors jumped into the gap to stop Harden from driving, and he created an immediate open three. And I was just like, well, you would think that they're going to make Harden kind of play one-on-one -on -one in this series. I don't know. Do you think that th this is going to shift? Did Harden kind of lay in the weeds a little bit? Like, are we nah. going to see any pressure get put on him? Or do you think that the, the Raptors are, like, super in trouble here? I, I, no, I don't think they're in trouble with Harden. I thought they did a good job of making him go right. Um, he, he loves to go right, come back with his left hand and sort of force that elbow into you to draw the contact and get the foul. I thought they did a pretty good job of just making him do that, making him do the step back. Where they got in trouble to me is when they tried to do some of the more conventional pick and roll coverages where it's just like, bro, when Harden's in the screen, just switch it. Do not, do, don't, do, don't come to the level. Don't try to blitz him. Don't, don't, no, no don't drop. Switch it. Because every other coverage is, he, he can beat it. He can he can still beat it because his vision is is um so elite. Um, I think if they just consistently switch that thing, get up get off get him off of his left hand, stay in front of him, let him throw that garbage that he throws when he goes right. Comes he can't shoot it with his right hand, so he always comes back with the left, comes up trying to draw the contact. Let him do all of that. I thought they did a decent enough job on Harden. It's the others who uh just smoked him. And I'm not sure what you do about the Embiid problem uh, going forward. Because I think, to me, everything flows out of the fact that 
You can't sing like you can't, right? Like they used to have a Sergi Baca on his team, a Mark Gasol on the championship team, where that's why they were able to guard Philly so yeah. effectively. They left those guys on islands against Joel Embiid and were completely fine with it, right? Um, and then you talk about all the elite defenders they had besides that. They don't possess that person. So I don't know how that problem is gonna disappear for them. Yeah, they don't have that big like I remember back when like uh Marcus saw he was like a great foil for Embiid when he was healthy and still kind of spry, but like he could like come up and like meet rotate and meet Embiid and he was thick enough to bother him, but he also had great hands. You know, the Raptors just don't have, they don't have a five like they don't have a true five period, you know. They've got Kim Birch, I guess is the closest thing and what you know, they they try to simulate some of that like having the length of a big out there without having an actual big out there since like, I think like six or seven of their guys in the rotation have like seven foot plus wingspans or something like that. But it's, it's a problem. I don't think that Toronto is going to be able to present. Now let's say the Philly does move on. I'm speculating, obviously. I just don't know. I think you're right about Harden and the fact that like, they're not going to be able to challenge Philly enough to like make that Harden thing a pain point. I think that James isn't off the hook. Like whenever they start to play some of these better teams in the East, like if they mm -hmm. say they get up against Milwaukee or something mm -hmm. like that, it's going to become an issue. But uh, Toronto, uh, the other thing that we haven't mentioned is you know Scotty Barnes, who like QB Brown today talked about him like he wants to adopt him. Uh, I've never <laughs> heard QB talk about a rookie like that. Um, uh, it looked pretty bad. I mean, like yeah. He was forcing a lot of stuff. The turnovers were pretty ugly. Some of the he was trying to thread the needle on so many of these passes, and it it, it just it was it was it was bad. Scotty Barnes, he's a rookie; it's to be expected. But he's but the other thing too is just that he's hurt. I mean, Joel, all I don't even Joel's over three hundred pounds. I guess that like mm. stepped directly on Scotty's ankle. I mean, it was a major cringe moment. I, the report I saw was that. It, uh, that it was uh, just a sprain, but uh, I don't know. Like, if Barnes can't go, like, his mobility and his, like, lateral, like, his ability to move laterally with guys is part of his thing, like, part of his appeal. He can't move, man. Uh, that's, that's another big problem for Toronto because he's such a weapon for them. Yeah, and again, like it's not like he was like some some sort of turnover machine in his in his minutes. It's just that. Look, Philly was they they were they they knew exactly how they wanted to attack uh Toronto offensively and it was just like look like you guys want to get in the paint and cause a lot of troubles we're here uh <laughs> our big guys not leaving here and even when they try to do some of their five out stuff it's just the, the sixers were ready for them they don't possess the level of shooting that makes you absolutely have to hug guys on the three-point line so you know shout to scotty barnes i love i love his physicality i just love the the motor that he plays with but this series might be a little bit too big for um, him and his mates. Uh, so, yeah, I think us basketball hipsters, uh, Kyle, we, we, we thought we had one. You, you, resist the, uh, you resist the basketball hipster. No, I was a hipster for thinking that t Toronto could do something in this series. That was a hipster instinct I, there. That, was, that, that, that definitely was the case. And today, like, again, Joel understands what his assignment is, and he's very keen on executing it. Um, I, I just liked, I like his approach. I like his disposition in game one. He, just, he was like, I'm going to dominate these guys, and he did. <laughs> they, they scored 70 points and were up by 18 at halftime. Like, you know... You know what it reminds? Have you have you seen Game of Thrones? 
Have you seen Game of Thrones? Of course. The scene where they're in the fighting pits and they're arguing about, like, I think it's like uh, Dario, whatever. He, he was talking with that guy. And he was like, my experience, the fast man always went because he's the fast guy. Right. The other guy was like, the big guy always wins. He was like, watch, nine times out of ten. And then, like, the fast guy kind of gets the upper hand. And then it ends with the big guy just, like, ripping the dude's head off and, like, screaming and stuff like that. I kind of feel like that's kind of what we're... Philly just has a big guy that, like, if Toronto's not going to be able to turn them over or stop them, um, it's it's going to be a big issue. And, and like, the shot creation, too, it's a similar thing for Memphis. These two teams are similar in that way. But uh, the problem is that, like, Toronto doesn't even have the options with bigs that Memphis yeah. has. So it's it's going to be an uphill climb. And, you know, I don't know. if Just going on what we saw today. Nick Nurse is a great coach. Like he could, he could come out with something that could surprise us. They've guys that could play better. Like we said, mm-hmm. Gary Trent did not play well at mm-hmm. all today. Two for eleven, two for seven from three. Uh, minus. We're not going to go overboard, but, but like the things that you that people thought Philly would be able to do well against them happened today. So yeah, y'all do with that what y'all will. Um, you got anything else, James? Uh, no, not off the top of my head. It's it's uh. These playoffs, man, are going to be really fun. It's I don't I don't do. Who was your pick for the for the finals? I didn't I didn't get to hear. Uh, that. I'm Bucks and Sons. Uh, I'm basic. I'm just like I, like I watched Giannis this year and just he has the answers for every single question on both ends of the floor. And I just don't think he's going to be denied, man. So long as Drew is able to stay healthy, um, they got Lopez back, so. They could do Giannis at the five, or they could do Giannis at the four and just be extra big and smother you and make it impossible to get paint scores. Uh, it's just, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm Bucks, and I just think the Suns because of the dearth of competition in the Western Conference. And um, yeah, give me the Bucks for the repeat, bro. Yeah, I I actually I picked the Suns. Maybe I'm being a basketball hipster, but I picked Suns over Bucks in the in the finals. We'll see. There you go. But, we'll uh, see. But I'm excited, very man. Good. This was a great first day. Uh, like, oh, yeah. like I said, that that Memphis series, those young guys getting up and down the floor. Uh, I just, I just love it. I'm really excited for the rest of it. Uh, tell the people they can check you out. Uh, you can see a lot of my work on uh, our YouTube channel. Um, you go on there, and we have a lot of stuff on there that's really good. And I host a show that's in hiatus right now. We talk where we talk about like younger players, things like that, called Upside High. And uh, yeah, and I write some things here and here and there on the website, theringer.com. A lot of good stuff on there. All right, wonderful. Uh, That's Weekends with Waz on the Ringer NBA Show Podcast Network. Uh, We'll see you guys next weekend. Well, I'll probably see you before that on group chat this Wednesday. More playoff coverage throughout the website, all of our podcast networks. Um, That's our show today. Shouts to Isaiah Blakely for producing the show. Um, My man Ben Hameen Cruz as well. Uh, We're out of here. Peace. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. 
Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.